This Advent, we have been in the Old Testament, and it has been refreshing and very fun for us, and I hope it has been for you as well. Today, we're in Deuteronomy, uh, the sixth chapter, as we talk about love, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9, familiar words to all of us. A few years ago, I was thinking how great it would be to have a search engine that told people exactly what they wanted to know. (laughs) Now, I appreciate that it takes less than a second to give me millions of possible responses to my queries, but I simply don't want to wade through and search through all of them. There's something about having so many options. Some might say too many options, That's not just overwhelming, but also difficult to figure out what's the most pertinent. When we ask a question, wouldn't it be great just to get a one-word answer and nothing else? When one of our nieces uh, had finished college a few years ago, she was quite negative about looking things up on the internet. You know how education does that to us, I guess. And she told me quite seriously, Aunt Co., every time somebody searches Wikipedia, they lose a part of their soul. <laughs> now, if this is true, I fear most of us might be gone soon. Oftentimes, you know, we're just looking for simplicity. Like, what's the cutest dog? Or is there alien life out there? How come there are no type B batteries? One word, people. That's all I'm looking for. But in a complex world where people want to give us as much information as possible, it's hard to wade through everything offered just to get to the heart of the matter. Don't you ever wish for someone just to tell you how it is? Then last week, Pastor TJ told me about a site called isitchristmas.com. When you type, is it Christmas yet, this is the first thing that pops up. You click it, and it will literally give you this. (laughs) This is what I'm talking about. Never mind that when you type it in, you get over 300 million results to the question. This site gets people like me. And our weird need for simple, straightforward answers. I'm hoping tomorrow it says yes. You know I'm going to (laughs) check. But real life, of course, doesn't work this way. The the internet is not a magic eight ball. And even if it were, would we trust it? No. Would we believe everything in it, whoever it is that told us things? You know we wouldn't. There are very few places, even in scripture, that give an answer that is hugely definitive. That's why we have seminaries. That's why we argue about theology. But the passage that we read today just does that. If the question is, what's the most important thing that we need to know from the entire Bible, the scripture answers that question. Because before there was Wikipedia or Google, Jesus himself was asked what the most significant commandment was. We saw on the video, we know it's true. This was a question that the rabbis discussed at length because there were so many commandments for them to choose from. They would debate which was the most vital for life here. Jesus, in response, takes them to this passage that we're studying today, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statues and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy, so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life. 
and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you, so that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently, so that it may go well with you, so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children, and talk about them when you are at home, and when you are away, when you lie down, and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The word of the Lord. As we have just read, the people of God are about to go into the promised land. Moses, who is talking here, cannot go with them. And he's giving them instruction for what they will need to know. While this book is almost written as a formal agreement between God and his people, Moses uses the opportunity to be a pastoral leader as long as he can. These are not new concepts that he's giving. Instead, they are reminders of what he has already told them. By this time, they have been in the desert 40 years. These are not the same people that entered the desert 40 years ago when they first left Egypt. Their experiences have shaped them. They have seen God work in tangible ways that most of us can only imagine. They have been exultant in praise and also hugely disobedient. Children have been born and raised up, living their entire lives as nomads. Older generations have died. Forty years. Think about how long that is. Now they're going to settle permanently in a land that has been promised to them. I was thinking about how it is that we try to give younger generations everything they need to thrive. Teaching children is imperative in every culture, and we value educating those who come after us. Here, the people are going to a new place. They're striking out on their own, apart from the one who has been their leader. They're going to a land where it is unknown, scary and exciting for them probably at the same time. And Moses is trying to prepare them the best he can. What was it like when you first struck out on your own? Who prepared you? How have you also gotten others ready? See, new places are unfamiliar to us. And in those times, it's important for us to have a lifeline, for us to remember what is true. Knowing who we are and what we believe keep us grounded when everything around us is foreign. This instruction of Moses is meant to keep the people that he loves close to God as the one who is the only constant. Everything else around us changes. So if you had one last chance to impart wisdom and truth to those who would carry on after you, what would you tell them? You see, there's so many options, right? There's millions of ideas. But here's what we see in this passage. The most important truth we can teach is that loving God is the foundation of life. This is true for our children, 
for our friends and everyone that we see each day. It's true at Christmas and every other time of year. And when this idea takes root of loving God, it becomes the identity of those who believe it. So here we can distill Moses' words into the why, the what, and the how. Why they should listen to him, what they should do, and how they can make sure that they live it out. So let's start where Moses does, the why. Historically, Moses has told the people that they should listen to what God has taught them so that they will have a good life. In verses 1 through 3, Moses expresses this truth in a number of statements. He says, You should do this so that your days will be long, so that all may go well with you, so that you may live in great fruitfulness. Fruitfulness here is about living in goodness about having sound spiritual health. We've talked a lot this uh, Advent season about how faithfulness to God is taught in the Bible as a generational blessing to those who come after. And here Moses repeats that reality. Of course, promises of a better life are not foreign to us at Christmas. Our consumeristic culture implies or outright tells us that our lives are incomplete without the latest toy or the latest item of clothing or gadget. I've been thinking this week about the eras in Christmas history where toys were so in demand that parents were just killing themselves to try and get them for their children in a big frenzy. The first of these, I didn't know this, was the Shirley Temple doll in 1934. It was the first celebrity doll of its time, and it sold a lot. Since then, we have seen G.I. Joe, not a doll, Transformers, Cabbage Patch Kids, Tickle Me Elmo, and Zuzu Pets. These things became so popular around the holidays that some parents would pay any price to get them for their children. Kids, if you don't know what these are, just ask your parents. Now, it's especially true that in the heat of Christmas shopping, we have a hard time sometimes telling the difference between truth and hype. But Moses' words here are straight from Yahweh himself. This is not a sales tactic Moses is trying to give. They are given as a gift to God's people, as a benefit to them, not him. In these words, we hear Moses exhorting the people, keep learning and keep growing After 40 years in the desert, maybe this is a hard thing for them to hear. Maybe this is a hard sales pitch for them. Unbelievable, maybe. To many of them, though, these words were revered. And Moses wants them to know that it is in their teachability to God that they're going to find the most contentment. God charged Moses with the truth, and now Moses is charging the people. This is a moment of blessing and affirmation. Moses wants this generation to do better than the previous one did. He wants them to have amazing lives in their new home. Isn't that what all parents and grandparents and mentors and teachers want when they invest in young people? All of us want the best life possible. And Moses is giving them this truth to live by. Honor God and it will go well for you. But the corollary is also true. If we don't honor God, life is going to be harder. Yahweh is to be revered as the one and the only true God who has given them their being and saved them from the horrors of enslavement. He has exclusive claim on their worship. 
This is a prophetic word for the people of Israel and also for us. Because God never fails in his provision when he is trusted. They're going into a land of milk and honey. Who else is going to provide for them as they go to this place? Not their new neighbors, the Canaanites. Not their gods who are not real whom the Israelites cannot talk to and cannot know, it will be the Lord. The same is true for us wherever we go. Judy has stood and given praise today that no matter what happens or where we go, the Lord is there to prepare us and provide for us and be with us. These people have experienced manna from God's own hands. Moses is reminding them that that provision is going to continue. Next, we see Moses giving the what found in verses 4 and 5. Love God with all you are. This is at the most basic heart of Judaic thought, the Shema. Shema means here, and that word is at the beginning of the words that Moses is giving. It means listen, listen up, and intend to obey this. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Because of this, Love him with everything you've got, your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. God, in his wisdom, does not ask people to straight obedience. He does not simply give them rules to follow. Instead, he expresses his call to people with the most intimate of emotion that we know, love. This is not just stark obedience. It's an invitation to friendship that is close and enduring. It's emotional, but also entails the will to follow God and serve him. There will be no other gods. He is the one they are meant to know. We often talk about the love that God has for us. Even people who are not very devout affirm sometimes how important it is to them that God loves them. How comforting it is. To say, God loves me no matter what. But that's only one side of the equation. It's true that God loves us first. And everything we understand in this life about love is a result of his care for us. But if we express our love to someone, we say, oh, I love you. And that person's so important to us. And we want to tell them of our love. And they say, oh, thanks. (laughs) It feels so good that you love me. I'm so confident about that. I'm glad you love me. Does that feel like love in return? I don't think so. This is a foundational truth that God wants us to embrace. We are told to love God. If we say we love him, but we don't know him, we don't care about his truth, then we don't really love him at all. You see, love in scripture is never an emotion without attempting also to live for him. We're not asked to love God by showing our feelings. We're told to love God by what we do. This is why Christ's actions for us show his love for us. Love is a verb. A bit of Bates family trivia. We are big Christmas music people at our house. We add a new holiday album to our playlist, which is a giant playlist. It's 48 hours long. Think about that. 
We could turn on any device and listen to Christmas music for two days straight without hearing the exact same song twice. Of course, there are repeats of songs, but not repeats of artists. From the holy to the secular, from the sincere to the silly, we even have a Hanukkah song in there. Mark makes sure that we listen to every single one between Thanksgiving and Christmas. As of today, we have about seven and a half hours to go. Amen. Amen. One of the albums that we were listening to as we were driving on the five through Bakersfield after Thanksgiving was so much about romantic Christmas, and it was just going on and on. And I said, Mark, could we please take this album out of our playlist? It's so awful. And he said, no. (laughs) And I was thinking how some of the music at Christmas is so ridiculous Uh, meant to play on our emotions and tricking us into thinking the holiday is somehow less fulfilling if we don't have a romantic partner to spend it with. Blue Christmas and all that. Now, I understand that Christmas can be a lonely time of year, and I am not downplaying that. All of us have loss, and it can be more cute now than at any other time. But the good news of Christmas is that we are never alone, that Christ has come to bring us the good news. And we have a God who came to love us and become one of us and eat our food and live and breathe our air and work like one of us did. God asks that we love him in return to believe in him fully and to be loyal to him only. So today, let's think about what we mean when we say we love God. Lastly, Moses gives us the how, that we are mindful to declare the Lord. Here, the clue is in verse 6. Keep these foundational words in your heart, says Moses. No matter what you do, if these words are lived out, everything will work out for good. And then he gives practical ways of keeping these words at the center. So here's what Moses suggests. Teach these words to your children. Instruct your children in the way of the Lord. I was thinking that what we teach becomes part of us. He says, confess these words wherever you go, when you're at home, when you're away, when you're lying down, when you're going about your life. Make loving God as much a part of your routine as anything else you do. He then says, put these words where you will see them. He says, put them on your body and on the houses where you live. Make loving God obvious to those around you. In the heart, in the home, in the community, the Lord gives multiple ways to stay close to him. These are the practices that sustain our relationship with him, that show our beliefs, that remind us who we are. Not just one of these keeps us close. We need all of them at different times because we are so easily distracted. This is a good word for his people. One aspect of Christmas that is true for all of us is the traditions that all of us practice. All of Christendom has traditions. We have them in our church. We sing the nativity prayer. We light the advent wreath. You have them in your homes and your families. Many of these have been handed down from those who came before us. And in turn, we will model traditions that we hope will be practiced for future generations. When we tell the story of Jesus' birth, when we share the joy of those who experienced it firsthand, when we express the love that God showed in sending his only son, when we teach others to love him in return, then we are following the how 
that Moses came to give the Israelites so long ago. The deepest questions in life comes down to one answer. Love God. Of all the traditions we have, of all the truths that we teach our children at the holidays, there is one that should permeate everything. Love God. If I were to create a website, howtobeachristian.com, this is what it would say. (laughs) Right? Keep it simple, people. Richard Foster says that our faith begins as a response to the love of God. Our faith begins as a response to the love of God. And the basis of our faith is to love him and others in return. So it seems fitting on Christmas Eve that we're talking about loving him with all that we are. He who has loved us first, who has sent his son to save us, who has given us all we have, deserves to be honored and respected and loved above all by us. It is in the coming of Jesus that we fully understand what it means that God loves us. And so when we read of the baby in the manger, we see the lengths to which God would go to show us this love. We have a God in the flesh that we can understand, we can listen to, and fully embrace. So this Christmas, let us embrace Jesus as never before. May we continue to grow in our love for him, whose birth we celebrate with singing and rejoicing and stringing lights, with gift-giving and feasting. And let's teach our children and our grandchildren and all the children in our lives that Christmas is about loving him. Let us pray.